Well, good morning, Live Point. Stewards Creek. Um, it is a joy to be in your midst. That was, you know, wonderful uh, introduction. But, uh, you know, the only superhero is our Lord Jesus Christ because I am who I am because of who he is. And he is shaping and making every single one of us to be in the very image of him. And that is what brings us here week after week and every appointed day of worship. And so I want to say thank you for the leadership of this campus. Thanks to RC and obviously to Pat, our lead pastor over our campuses. Um, and it's just a joy. I know it is crazy time to be living in. And, uh, but no matter how crazy things are, Lord Jesus Christ has everything under control. Things may not feel like he has things under control, but trust me, he does. And if only you could see what is happening behind the scenes, you will shout hallelujah and glory and praises unto the name that is above all names. And so today, as uh, Jordan uh, said, we are, you know, going to be going back to the book of Revelation. And uh, the book of Revelation is one of the books that are very difficult, and most preachers often stay away from it for a number of reasons, uh, not because it's not the word from God, but because of the difficulty in interpreting the book. And so I want you to be aware of that, but our teaching staff has done a tremendous job in walking us through this book because it's very important we see the gospel message engraved in the pages of the book of Revelation. And so if God put it in his word, it's as canonized as one of uh, the books of the Bible. Obviously, that is the reason why we should be looking at it. And so for we took a couple of weeks break from the book of Revelation, and today we'll be going back uh, to Revelation. And we're going to be looking at uh, Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 to 21, so you can make your way to that. If you have your Bibles, open up to that. If you have your cell phones or your iPad, go ahead and turn them on and uh, join me uh, there. And we're going to be looking at what uh, the message of God has uh, for us. Our hearts obviously are yearning, and we can see you don't have to know a lot of the Bible to know that we are living in the last days or the end times. And that is what the book of Revelation is all about. And so today, as we went out, like Jordan said, I, my, my, my wife and I, when, after we got married, we moved back to Ghana, West Africa, which is where I'm original from. So for me, it was going back home. For my wife, it was the first time. And that is some of the things that, you know, my, I, my future in-laws and I discussed about the possibility of, you know, allow me to date your daughter. He's got this, you know, relationship list to marriage. There's a possibility that she might end up in Ghana being the only girl you know, in the middle of two brothers, you know, what did you think? And so it was a long conversation because no mom wants to easily release their daughter to uh, move to a strange country that their parents have never been to. And all of a sudden she's taking away. But, you know, the conversation went well. And thank God they were very understanding. And God, you know, put us together as husband and wife. And it's been tremendous. And uh, we went back to Ghana uh, in 2015 at Jordan, as I said, for a really great ministry before our return to 
the United States in 2018. And so in 2019 was when we moved up to Tennessee. Um, my wife took a job with Laverne Middle School. Uh, she's an English teacher. And so uh, uh, we moved up here. And uh, when we got here, we looked in the neighborhood. We're trying to find a place to call church home. We visited a number of churches in this community. But the Lord brought us to Live Point, and we are ever grateful that he led us to Live Point. And uh, you're an incredible family, and you've been a blessing to my family. And I want you to know that from the bottom of my heart, especially, you know, having three kids in our child workers, you know, children department, it is amazing. They do an incredible job. And I want you to actually put your hands together for our childhood because, you know, it is just a year, you know, if you don't have children yet, you will understand what I'm saying when you do have children because they do a lot of ministry. So uh, uh, we appreciate their services. And so we're going to try to get out of here on time before the children start walking in here looking for their parents. Um, so we will be looking at, you know, Revelation uh, uh, 19, 11 to 21. And I want you to, uh, before we actually start reading, you know, when I moved here, I started listening to all kinds of music. And uh, one of the music that I started listening to was country you know, music, gospel. My wife now thought I was crazy uh, because when she found out that I love it, she just, you know, for some reason she didn't understand. But I listened to country musicians like, you know, Alan Jackson, listened to uh, Johnny Cash, also known as uh, uh, the man in black, right? And I also listened to, uh, as my wife, uh, my, my children referred to her, Auntie Dollar, because she sent them a bunch of books. Our house is filled with books everywhere, and we fight over it every single day because they want to have it everywhere. They step on it, they slip, they fall. But it's a tremendous blessing, you know. So listening to all that, but specifically, you know, country gospel. I love listening to it. And so we're going to be looking at one of the songs written by Johnny Cash because it goes hand in hand with the passage of scripture that we're going to be looking at this morning. And the title of the song is When the Man Comes Around, right? Those of you who are, you know, country uh, uh, music, you know, uh, 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 lovers, you know uh, what the song is. And I'm going to tell you a little bit of the lyrics, and this is what it said. The lyrics goes like this. Now, there is a man going around taking names, and he decides who to free and who to blame. Everybody won't be treated all the same. There will be a, a golden ladder reaching down when the man comes around. The hair on your arms will stand up, and the terror in each sip and each sub will you partake of the last offered cup or disappear into the potter's ground. When the man comes around, whoever is unjust, let him be unjust still. Whoever is righteous, let him be righteous still. Whoever is filthy, let him be filthy still. Listen to the words long written down. Now, this song is awesome. It is great because... It is pure Revelation 19, 11 to 21. That is where it was taken from. And so we are looking at this particular song in line with the passage of Scripture that we're going to be looking at this morning. It is great, you know, for us to understand, even in the music industry, you know, we have an incredible worship team. And I enjoyed our time of worship very creative, you know, worship leaders of our church. And when we sing songs, obviously singing it unto the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're looking at this. The last time we look at, you know, uh, the book, but before we took a break, we look at, you know, how to, we're celebrating the wedding and uh, the wind when Jesus Christ returns. In Revelation 19, 21, it's taken us back. 
to actually when Jesus Christ returns. It's almost like a TV show that sets up a scene and then takes you back 24 hours and then brings you out to that moment. And I also wanted to remind you, because we've said this over and over, you know, at the beginning of this sermon series, from the beginning of the year, that the book of Revelation was not written to be read or to be understood chronologically. It is not in chronological order. In other words, the book of Revelation is written, and they were looking at from different angles of the same picture. In other words, we call it recapitulation. So it is recapping. We're seeing it from different angles with the reason for us to understand, to fully understand what God wants us to hear or to understand here. Now, I'm a very big football fan. And what I mean by football, I'm not talking about American football. I'm talking about the real football, which is called soccer in the United States. I'm still fighting that battle, you know. So, uh, welcome to my world. I like it a bit. One of the things that I didn't like about soccer is the fact that, you know, referees often make, like, really terrible calls. And there's no, like, a review in American football or basketball when, okay, time out, let's look at this and make sure that we get it right. You know, and I was praying that a day will come when they will make that right. And they recently did because we have now the VRA, the video assistant referee. Now when they make a call, they have to cross-check to make sure that this is actually good. This was actually a good call. And I love it. And sometimes some people don't because, you know, a player who thinks they scored, they're celebrating, and all of a sudden, you know, time out, let's look at it. Yeah, you know, roll out. That was not a goal. They get upset. But if they all, other way around, they will love it, right? And so we're looking at this from a different angles, you know, to fully understand what is happening here. So don't ever approach the book of Revelation trying to read it chronologically. It would not make sense to you. And Revelation is one of the books that are often very misunderstood. It is difficult, you know, to preach or to, you know, prepare sermon on. And so, but our, our teaching team has done an incredible job walking us through because we want to be faithful with the word of God, we, know, we want to be able to understand what is it that Lord has laid upon our heart to speak to uh, the people of God. So let's uh, 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 go to Revelation 19, uh, 11 to 21. And this is what it said. Then I saw heaven open uh, and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. Verse 13, he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the word of God. That comes, you know, what comes to mind is, you know, the gospel of John chapter 1. Jesus is the word of God. Verse 14 said, and the armies of heaven array in fine linen, White and pure were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of fury and wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his tie, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lords of Lords. And I saw the angel standing in the sun and with a a a loud voice, he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, come gathered for a great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free, slave, both small and great. 
And I saw the beast and the king of the earth with the armies guided to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. Verse 20, and the beast was captured and with his false prophet who is in the present had done the sign by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worship his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire and burned with sulfur. Last verse. And the rest were slain by the word that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all the, be- the birds were gorged of flesh. Now, John lists so many attributes in this particular verses, but we're going to be looking at only three of them. Now, the first attribute we see here is Jesus Christ as a warrior. Now, you know, growing up as children, right in the Sunday school class, or just growing up in our Christian faith, we often see Jesus Christ. The images that comes across our mind is Jesus, you know, in the manger, right? Jesus, you know, in, uh, uh, with children sitting in his lap and his, you know, taking care of them. Jesus as a compassionate king or compassionate savior. That is the pictures that we often have when we talk about Jesus Christ. But we are seeing Jesus Christ as a warrior. And sometimes it can be confusing. How can this kind of compassionate God, this kind of uh, Jesus who loves people so much, is also described as a person of war or even a warrior? We often, it's hard for that to see Jesus Christ along those lines. Now, we need to understand that, you know, yes, Jesus is gentle. Yes, he is patient. Yes, he is willing to forgive sinners, those who confess their sins to him. But we also need to be reminded that the willingness of Jesus Christ, you know, to be patient and to be uh, accommodating to us in the sense, in the most cases in our life, is the fact that he is willing to judge. And that is why his righteousness is embedded in his willingness to judge sin. Because if it was not Justice, you know, if he did not judge sin, he would not be called a justice God, right? Just because he loves it doesn't mean that he is going to let everything slide. That's not because he loves it doesn't mean that he's going to allow us to do what we see fit in our own eyes, but we still now need to walk in accordance with the word of God. And that is what we see Moses, you know, uh, uh, Exodus 15, Moses sang the song that's called the laws of men of war. The Lord is his name. He is the savior who slew the gods and armies of Egypt and also parted the Red Sea for the Israelites to cross. And we see that imagery when Jesus Christ, you know, through uh, Moses is sent to, uh, back to Egypt to deliver the children of Israel from out of slavery. And we see what happened even in Pharaoh's own palace. When this back-to-back fight, battle that is going on, Jesus Christ, obviously in the midst of all of this, but we see in the end, Moses triumphed, not because, you know, uh, of his own power, but because of the God who sent him back. And we know from that story, he did not want to go, right? Moses was not, because he, come up with, he came up with all kinds of excuses that he, would, he couldn't speak fluently, because he lived in this palace and he knows what Pharaoh was capable of. But Moses was not going there on his own own power, but because he was going with the power of God on his shoulder. And so we see that also in Joshua chapter 5 verse 13, we see that, you know, uh, uh, he appeared as a captain of the Lord's army. 
when Joshua is dealing with the city Jericho, Joshua sees Jesus Christ in a vision as he's appeared to him with a sword. So we see him appearing there. In Revelation 19, he is riding a white horse, which was a symbol of victory in those days. It was a symbol of victory in those days. And we need to understand the lordship of Jesus Christ, the nature of Jesus Christ, the work of Jesus Christ has everything to do with his triumph. And he is conquering victory and conquering everything of this world and bringing us into relationship with him. And so I like, you know, watching Western movies. That's one of the things that, you know, my wife would, I like, you know, movies that I not, I don't like, like, city movies kind of thing. I like movies that are filmed outside in, in the bush, you know, and, you know, people riding horses and they, you know, not shooting, not because I like shooting, but, you know, in the act, you know, form, you know, it's amazing me when like, a guy, you know, with a gun shoots off someone's head, off their head without actually hitting the head, you know, and you're looking at it like, you know, that was a very good aiming. Or, you know, you're all getting ready to draw, and all of a sudden, the other person shoots up the other hand, and he didn't even get a shot to shoot it. And I'm looking at some of this, and that is, you know, amazing accuracy, right? And so we see it. But one of the things that we see in Western movies, that is one sort of that's our parallel with this. Because it all has, you know, all of this, you know, gang members who, you know, rise into town in a small city or small town, take the whole city in captivity, and then all of a sudden you see a man on the white horse riding through town, and he comes in and he delivers a severe blow to these gang members who have subdued this town, and he sets them free. And what he does is he takes names. And in a sense, you have a new sheriff coming into town. Again, we've seen all of these pictures is taken from the book of Revelation. If you didn't know that, I'm telling you right now. That is what is going on in this movie is that you may have watched several times, but you don't have an idea as to where this is coming from. That is taken flat out from the book of Revelation. And so we need to understand that Jesus obviously coming in on the white horse and Jesus becoming a new sheriff in town. He is putting his enemies away and delivering people and setting up his own administrative office and becoming a leader of that community. And that community is the community of the Lord Jesus Christ as a body of believers of Jesus Christ that we have a leader, we have a a sheriff who is able to defend, who is able to drive away all our enemies, drive away everything that will stand our way or our relationship with him and establish his administrative duty in our hearts and sending us out to go and proclaim his work and accomplish his missions. And that is what we are looking at. You know, the plot is obviously, like I said, it's borrowed, you know, from the book of Revelation. So we're looking at all of this. And I want you to understand that when John also said that from his mouth was come a sharp sword or flaming sword and his enemies are brought to their knees as a result of that, you know, the Bible referred to the word of God often as a double sword, Right? In other words, it has all kinds of, you know, a pumping in this life. We need to understand that by the breath of the mouth of God, the universe was created. We see that with the book of Genesis. God spoke things into being. And so we're seeing about his breath, his, over his mouth, the heavens was created. You know, by this, that same breath, he is coming back to bring to an end of everything. And the question we need to ask ourselves is when the man comes around, when Jesus Christ comes around, 
Now, where would he find you? Or where are you at? Are you going to be on the side of the gang members or are you going to be on the side of this new sheriff who is coming into town on the white horse? White obviously meant purity, you know, it meant victory, and he is coming as victorious king, not someone who is coming to wage war or to start something. He is coming to finish what he started on that cross of Calvary. And he defeated his enemies on that cross. And so this coming is not going to be coming back to wage war necessarily. He is coming to claim that which he won through the cross of Calvary. And so we need to understand that he soon coming means a lot. And we are called as believers of the Lord Jesus Christ to get ourselves ready for the coming king because we want to find ourselves on the right side when he appeared. And let me tell you, this is not going to look like, you know, Rocky and Club of Land. If you watch, you know, Rocky, you know, they're exchanging blows, going back and forth, trying to, you know, knocking each other on the ground, getting up and trying to connect the next blow. It's is not going to look like that. This is going to be a one-stop shop kind of thing. He is going to deliver one blow, and that is going to be enough. We see that consistent with, you know, prior to the arrival of Jesus Christ, he being the high priest, as in the Old Testament passage of Scripture, we often look at Jesus Christ as the high priest who will come to put an end of the Old Testament sacrificial systems. And the, the Bible tells us that in the Old Testament, the high priest had to go to the holiest of holies once every year to atone for the sin of Israel. But Jesus will come, and he will go to the holiest of holies once and for all. He went to the cross, and that was it. That's why he doesn't have to come back and die on the cross over and over as the high priest did. He did that once and for all. By the way, for you and I, we deserve to go on the cross, but Jesus took our place and suffered and died for our sins. And he's coming back, as the Bible said, for his bride. He's coming back for the church. And the call for all of us is to get ourselves ready so that when he comes, we will be found on the right side of history. This is what Martin Luther meant when he wrote his famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress is our God, the prince of darkness grim. We tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. He is our mighty fortress. There's a lot of chaos, craziness going on in our world, but we can always count on the Lord Jesus Christ. He can always be our fortress. He can always be a city that is built upon the hill. He can always be a place that we can run to for rescue because he did that. He came and he died. He came and he paid the price of our sins for us when you and I should have. Sometimes we often talk about fairness, especially if you have kids. They, they, they complain and cry about everything. Tells you this is not fair. And sometimes even adults, sometimes we often look at this and we're like, it's not fair that, you know, God should expect us to worship and to do all of this, you know. But what is, what is the fairness in the fact that Jesus went to the cross? Jesus died for the sin that he did not commit. He died for your sin. He died for my sin. He died for the sin of the entire world. Yet, he did not commit any sin. That's not fairness. By our own language, that is not fair. We should have gone to the cross. We should have been nailed on the cross. But that is not what happened because of his heart, his compassion for us. Now, his first trip, you know, to the planet was a suffering servant. Jesus came to suffer. You know, Matthew often referred to him as a suffering servant. 
He came to suffer for us. He came to, uh, uh, to pay the price of sin for us. He, was, he came as a, he was armed with compassion for sinners. Now, the second coming is not going to be like that because Jesus is coming back as a conquering king. And that was all the stuff that we needed to be. The heavy lifting was done on the cross. But he is returning not to be compassionate anymore. Not because we're the same that Jesus is in at that point. But he is not coming to start things. He's coming to finish what he started on this first trip. And so this is very crucial for us as Christians in the sense that we are called to be ready at all times because Jesus Christ could easily appear any moment from now. The resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ usher in the last days. So we've been living in the last days ever since. And he could easily appear today. And the question is, will you be ready? Will I be ready? Will the world be ready to receive Jesus Christ? But whether we're ready or not, he's coming back. And that is what is very important for us to get ourselves to understand what it means. His second coming is not going to be about doing what he did on the first coming. It's going to be about Finishing things up and taking it up to glory. Now, the Bible also tells us that he is clothed in the rope, dipped in blood. There are two thoughts about this because some believe that this means that he is dipped in his own blood. The blood that was poured on the cross of Calvary for our sins, right? And we see that, you know, earlier John described the lamb is worthy to open the scroll because he was slain of his own the cross, and with his blood purchase men, God, from every tribe, from every nation. It never ceases to amaze me that I am standing in front of you as a guy with a funny accent from West Africa in Ghana, northern part of Ghana, standing in front of you, Middle Tennessee. I never could have predicted that, but I'm standing in front of you today with a funny accent, and it's hard to tell where my accent don't, so don't even try to figure it out because I lived in Louisville for 70 years, lived in Virginia for about two years, then lived a little bit in Pennsylvania, moved back to Ghana, back to Pennsylvania, and now in Tennessee. So you can understand how messed up my accent could possibly be. But at the same time, that is what we're seeing, a picture of when Jesus Christ returned, we have people from all nations, people from all tribes, Surrounded, the righteous turn of grace. Obviously, I don't know, you know, what heaven is going to, exactly what it's going to look like. We all like surprises, right? I would like God to keep that as a surprise because I know it's going to be something beautiful. But imagine that people from all nations coming to the Lord, surrounded the righteous throne of God. And on that day, it's going to be a day of victory. It's going to be a day of reflection. We're looking at what God did. For us, it's going to be a time of celebration. But at the same time, it's going to be a time of eternal suffering for some people. That is why, as you hear often here at Live Point, that is why we want to live sent. That is why I'm serving as our global mobilization personnel to be able to get folks out to share the word of God. We still have a lot of work to do, especially as long as Jesus Christ is still up in heaven and waiting to come. That tells us that there is still work for us to do. So I wanted to understand that, you know, and also it's not going to look like, you know, the, unlike the, the, the 32nd, you know, OK Corral, you know, 
battle that happened. You know, we, we heard that, right? You are familiar with that. So when you take 30 seconds, you know, fight. It's going to be a one blow. And it's going to settle it. It's not going to be a back and forth kind of thing. It is going to be a one-stop shop kind of thing. Jesus did the heavy lifting, as I would have said, on the, on the cross for that. But some theologians also believe that this blood that is talked about Jesus' clothes or garment being dipped in the blood also has something to do with the blood of his enemies. And we see this in Isaiah 63, uh, verse 3. And what, this is what it said. I have trodden the wine press alone, and from the people no one was with me. Jesus speaking here. I trotted them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. Their blood, that blood spotted on my garment and stained my apparel. Now, John is saying here, you know, using the wine price, you know, the fury of God in the midst of all this. Like a man trampling on grapes and a wine price warrior, Jesus was stomped, his enemies. And I often think about, you know, this whole process of grapes and the stepping stuff and the processing and all of that. I don't know. I'm glad we have technology today because, you know, that is kind of icky kind of thing for me. Like that I will even try to put something in my mouth that comes from my feet. Right? It doesn't, you know, when I would, I just, how, how could that, you know, I, nobody, you know, feet is just kind of, you know, you don't, that is something. Right? But that's what happened back in the day. And so the next time you're taking a sip of wine, you don't think about that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it's, you know, we're seeing this. So some believe that that is what is going on here. He is talking about the blood of his enemies being spotted on it. And my job today is not to tell you which one to believe. There is some truth to both of them, right? But we're talking about the blood being, or the, his robes being dipped in the blood. And then we have this famous Chinese uh, general one taught, you know, uh, San Su taught that a wise general doesn't enter battle seeking for victory. He gets into battery, uh, uh, battle knowing that he's already won. And so that is what we see in Jesus Christ. Jesus is not entering into this battle hoping, you know, the outcome is going to be positive, it's going to be great. He's going into this battle knowing that he's already conquered, knowing that he's already a victor and not a victim. And as long as Jesus is a victor, we will never be victims unless we choose to be so. Because he's given us victory, and that is what he's releasing to us. Jesus is not going into a wage battle. This is not going to be, you know, a rocky kind of move with club and all of that. And that is not what is going to happen because he is a victorious God. Jesus will rule with a rod of iron. The Bible says this often refers to a shepherd back in the day. They have a, a rod or a stick in their hands, and that is what they use to control the sheep. And they also use it to defend, you know, their flock as well. They will use it because they didn't have guns back then. They tried the best they could. But something to be able to protect their flock. It fulfills Psalms 2 where the psalmist says that you will break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And that is how Jesus Christ is coming. He is coming as a person of victory and he's coming into this not to start anything, but to finish what he started on his first trip. And we need to understand that. Because we all start projects and we all complete projects. You start projects with the end goal in mind. You want to finish well. 
And sometimes we often told, don't focus too much on the beginning. Just focus on how this is finished. And we want to finish well. There are all kinds of challenges in life. But with Jesus Christ, we're able to finish this. Pergamos, we've started with him because in the end, he is going to be the one leading us. He is going to be guiding us. And at the end of the day, it has nothing to do with what you can do, but have everything to do with what he did on that cross. And we can take heart in that, knowing that he is always a victorious God. And if we place our hope, if we place our trust in him, he is going to see us through. And last time we look at the marriage, you know, Supper of the Lamb. And that is what you and I are yelling as pardon to be part of. And before the great supper, there is another meal supper of the supper of God. There are two suppers that I talked about here. What you and I are looking forward is the marriage supper of the Lamb. We as a church, because Jesus is coming back for his bride and his bride is the church. It's us. He's coming to consummate that marriage. But it is another supper that is going to be organized by God. Invitation letters have been sent out. And this is an invitation that nobody can turn down. Whether you like it or not, you're going to attend this supper. But guess what? The troubling thing about this particular supper that is going to be organized by God, not the lamb, is the fact that there is no food at this supper. There is no wine at this supper. There is no dancing at this supper because there's not going to be peace during this supper. The people who are invited to this occasion actually are going to be eaten up. They are going to be the food. In other words, the invited guests are going to be food. Very graphic, very gruesome as we may say. At this meal, it is a celeb- it's not going to be a celebration. Like I said, it's going to be annihilation. God is coming back and he's putting an end to everything. So we have two camps here. Either you choose to be part of the marriage of the Lamb, which is the church, or you can choose to be part of the supper that is going to be organized by God. And at this occasion, things are not going to be pretty. Things are not going to be peaceful. You will not. This is not about celebration. God is bringing an end to things. In other words, the invited guests are not coming to eat. They are coming to be eaten up. And it is an invitation that no one can refuse. You can't say, I don't have time. I can't come. You're going to come whether you like it or not, even if it means dragging you to the party. That is not going to be very nice. In the Old Testament, those who flesh were eaten, by birds, you know, was a sign of defeat, right? We see David and Goliath, you know, going back and forth. When the battle lines were drawn for the Israelites and the Philistines, you know, uh, uh, Goliath came out and threatened the Israelite call. Then you got all kinds of names until David showed up. He just couldn't take it anymore, but he was too little. His brothers thought he was crazy to even thinking about going to face this giant. But he did. Not because he had the power to do so, but because of the God he served. David stood up to Goliath. And one of the exchanges that happened, David told him, I am going to feed your flesh to the birds of the air today. And so that was a sign of defeat. Goliath's flesh will be fed to the birds. And that is what we see. Those who refuse his salvation deserve condemnation, right? And either he was judged and suffered for us. 
Either Jesus Christ was judged and he will suffer for us, or you are going to spend the rest of your life trying to fix this. And you know what that's all about. There is no way we can ever fix ourselves. If we could, we would have done it years ago. But ever so much as the more we try, the further away we drive ourselves from God. And we need to understand that there is nothing, absolutely nothing that we can do to actually move us any closer to God if God is not in the midst of it. That is why we call for total dependency on the spirit of the living God, total dependency on Jesus Christ and reflecting on all that he did on that cross for us. It is very important. This meal, again, is going to be a troubling meal. But the invited guest has no choice but to show up for that. They're going to be eating up. Their flesh are going to be fed to the birds in the air. In the Old Testament, those whose flesh, look, we say, it is a sign of defeat. In other words, they're going to be defeated. The armies of the, of the bees will be defeated. The false prophets that work alongside with him will be defeated. And every single person who put their trust on the bees and his agents will be defeated on that day. That is why you and I need to be on the side. Of the feast that is going to be organized by the Lamb. That is Jesus Christ when he's come back for his church. Those who refuse the salvation deserve his condemnation. And you and I, we stand condemned before God without Jesus Christ, right? That is why we took those steps to receiving him and making him our Lord and Savior. Because when God looks at us, he no longer sees you. He sees Jesus Christ in you. And as long as he sees Jesus Christ... He smiles because he knows what his son did for you. I don't want to be seen. I don't want people to look at me and see Joshua. I want people to look at me and see Jesus Christ radiating through a lot, every area of my life. And that is my desire for every single one of us in here that we need to understand that God needs to radiate. Jesus Christ needs to be seen in every day of our lives. And the second attribute, you know, talk about the righteous Jesus Christ as a righteous judge. He is worthy. You know, I like watching, you know, all kinds of TV shows. Like, I am a Judge Judy fan. Believe it or not, I watch Judge Judy. And some of the things I often talk about, you know, you see people walking into court, and they come in with that, you know, it's like, a, what, you know, she often asks, like, well, what do you think you were coming to, right? Because they are not prepared. But even in the preparations and the justice, in our justice system, we know that it is not fair sometimes, right? It's more with all kinds of problems. Justice often take briberies and all of that. They often are influenced by external forces and all of that that influences their judgment. And sometimes the wrong people are actually, you know, sent into prison or actually incarcerated when the actual guilty person is set free. And sometimes witnesses don't even can't remember everything everything that they said they knew. But Jesus is a righteous judge. He doesn't need any external you know, pressure on him to make judgment. He is going to do only what he can do. Will you be a believer of whom who actually stands for the truth, no matter what? Will you stand? Will you say, tell the truth without compromising, without fear of being a council culture statistic? Because that is what is happening in our community, in our nation, in our world today. Because people are afraid to tell the truth. Jesus will tell the truth whether you like it or not. And he's calling all of us to tell the truth whether people like us or not. Because we need to be people of truth. 
Hebrews 4.13 also read, And no creature is hidden from the side, but all are naked, exposed to him. And he knows, you know, Jesus Christ was often described as, you know, his, his face looked like a flame of fire. Not in the sense that, you know, sometimes when someone tells you that your face looked like fire, in most cases you're angry. But in this case, you know, it talks about Jesus Christ having knowledge about everything. He has knowledge of what you're about to do, what you did even before you did it. And we need to understand that his grace and his power upon our life, it is something that we cannot fake because he knows every secret about us. And last, certainly not least, we're looking at the supreme king as far as Jesus is concerned, he is seen as a supreme king. Now, I happen to come from a part of the world that have kings and queens, you know. And so we're looking at, you know, sometimes, you know, kingship often marred with bribery and corruption and all kinds of things, just as we see even in our government. Because sometimes kings want to rule according to, you know, to glorify themselves, to make names for themselves. But Jesus Christ is the supreme king and he is leading as the father would like him to lead. And that is his expectation to all of us. Now he has a name, king of kings and lords of lords written. The Bible says on his robe, on his tie, we see that. And tie was a symbol of strength back in the day. And so we see this name that is written. Not very many people knew but Jesus Christ, because in those days, to know someone actually really name was to have power over those people. And nobody knew the meaning of this name but Jesus Christ. Now, this crown, the Bible tells us that were covered with diadems, you know, it was ornaments, you know, on this crown in the first century. That also meant, you know, someone has a rule in the leadership over a particular territory, just like kings in Africa had jurisdiction, you know, their rule. Well, the number of villages is under their leadership. And so we're seeing Jesus Christ having this power and able to rule not just a king like our world king, but a supreme and righteous king. The dragon and the beast have seven to, die, to ten diadems on them. They pretended to have power over everything on the earth. But their power was limited. We see Jesus being tempted after 40 days and 40 nights of fasting. But at the end of the day, who won? Jesus won. The devil had the power. He was given a limited power to tempt Jesus. But it was limited. Because if it were not limited, he would have succeeded. But Jesus triumphed over those Trump, uh, 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 temptations. The Dutch theologian Abraham Kuyper once says that there is not square inch in all the universe over which Jesus doesn't say, it's mine. Meaning the spot that you're sitting right now belongs to Jesus. The spot that I'm standing right now belongs to Jesus. The space your, your home occupies right now is Jesus. In other words, everything is Jesus. It belongs to him and no one else. In other words, you know, so we need to understand that your body, everything, that is you. And that's what we often hear about Stuff like, you know, our personal choices, what we do with our lives and all of that. Someone created it. You have a creator. We're a Christian who believe what happened in Genesis. God created it in his own image. And what you do with your life matters to God. You don't have full control over your body because it belongs to God. He created you and he expects you to use your body to the glory of his name. And don't ever get to a point where you feel like I can do whatever I want. We hear that. Yes, it is crazy. Because... He created you, and he has a lot of expectation from you. And I want to say, you know, this passage should give us all kinds of, you know, emotions. 
We should be sad because perhaps we have, you know, family members who may not have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the question we can ask ourselves is, if Jesus were to return today, or if they were to pass away today, where would they spend eternity? That is very important. Every single, if I were to add, I ask you to raise it, you have a friend or a family member who do not yet have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we gather together like this, it is for us to reflect on our own life and the lives of the people around us. It could be family members, it could be friends. Where are they going to go if Jesus Christ returned right now, right at this moment? We need to be aware. And that is why, as a church, we are ascending church. We want to be able to send people out to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and get people to receive him. And so we need to be concerned. We need to be called. We need to understand the sadness here. I don't also want this sadness. And as crazy as that may sound, you know, I don't want this sadness kind of thing to lead us to depression. But I am encouraging you to let this sadness to lead us into action, to lead us into heart change, to lead us into amending relationship, to lead us to taking the step to the greatest challenges that we may be facing. And that is sometimes it's just hard. To share the gospel with somebody. You're looking at them and you're afraid for a number of reasons. We feel defeated. We describe or we claim to have been defeated even before we get started. But at the end of the day, is Jesus Christ doing his work through you? It's never about us, right? It is about him and about what he is doing in and through us. It should give us joy because the justice of Jesus Christ will be released on this earth on that day. In other words, in the end, justice will be served. And nobody, and I mean nobody is going to get away with anything. God is just, and he is able to do only what he can do. There are a lot of craziness, hopelessness, and out-of-control stuff in our world today. Even if you live under a rock, you know that there's something wrong with our society. But that doesn't mean that things are out of Jesus' control. He still has control. He has given us chance. He is patient with us. He wants us to get things right. You know, two ways we can escape this. is either live a perfect life or trust and put our faith in the one who did live that perfect life. And he is Jesus Christ. You and I can try, can work as hard as we can. At the end of the day, we're going to fail. That is why the Bible is telling us to come to God with all our burdens, with all our problems, and put it on the shoulders of God because he is here to carry our burdens for us. The cross was hard. Over and over, even Jesus asked the Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass over me, right? But there was nobody to drink from that cup but Jesus. He did it anyway for you and I. What is our excuse, or what would be our excuse. So I'd like to invite you at this point, even as we come to the end, you know, of our sermon today, that we have a duty to respond. And I'm going to invite you to respond in two ways. One of the ways is perhaps you're here worshiping with us. You do not yet have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a time for you to meditate, to take some moment and think about where you would like to spend eternity with. when everything is said and done in this life. You have a choice, and God has given us those choices. And I pray that 
God will lead you to choosing to be on the side of God. So if you're here and you don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, right after this uh, 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 service, I will be out, you know, in the front, and I will, you know, help you. The pastoral staff will be here to walk alongside with you because you need to take those steps. Thank God that you're here. If you're watching us online or you're in this room and want to make that right, God is ever welcoming and he wants to receive you into the fold of the body of Christ. Uh, the second way that I wanted to respond is we were taking communion today. Those of us who have already proclaimed Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we know what it means. The blood of Jesus Christ pouring on the cross of Calvary, his body been broken for our salvation. Jesus Christ commanded us to do this in remembrance of what he did on the cross for us. And I'd like you to begin to prepare your heart to celebrate communion with us. If you're here, we practice open communion at Live Point. If you're a believer of the Lord Jesus Christ, even if you're a member of a different church, you are more than welcome to join us in celebrating communion. So if you're here, if you came in and you didn't have a cup or you didn't get one, please, you may raise your hand and, uh, so that they can serve you. And I want you to hold on to it as our worship team comes up to lead us. And I will be back to lead us in the time of communion.